Hey guys. Good morning. My name's Carl. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I'm honored to bring God's word before you today as we continue on through the book of Acts. So would you guys just pray with me as we jump in? Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus for us. God, you changed everything in sending him. Thank you, God, that you saved us from ourselves, from our sin, from our debt. Thank you that you paid the price on the cross and that you've restored us into relationship with you, God. We have right relationship with you now. I thank you, Lord, that even now in this messy life, as we fail, as we try, as we wrestle and run from sin, I thank you that if we've put our faith in you, we can be confident in our relationship with you. Thank you for that. And I also just thank you, Lord, that Jesus, when you ascended to heaven, you didn't leave us alone, but that you sent your spirit as a promised seal until the day of redemption. So I pray, God, that you'd move by your spirit in our hearts today. Would you help us to know you? Would you help us to know your heart for us? And would you help us to walk as the church? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We were alone again. And we had been alone before. And those were some of the darkest days of our lives. The first time that we were alone, our Savior had been taken from us. He had been beaten. And he had been crucified. And with him, all of our hope was taken beaten and crucified as well. Those are some of the darkest days of our lives. And I, I had to live with the fact that I denied him three times. That in his hour of need, the one I said I would die for, I denied him. What shame. Those days, we just grieved we weren't thinking, we were just mourning. We didn't know what to do other than to wait. And those days, those three long days were lost to doubt and fear and tears. And then one day, Mary came back and she brought this story that the tomb was empty. And before she could even finish telling her story, I ran to the tomb. And as I ran, John passed me. But when we got to the tomb, we peeked inside and Jesus was gone. Hope stirred in our hearts. This wasn't over. And it wasn't long before Jesus appeared to us. In fact, he walked through a wall. We thought he was a ghost. But he stretched out his hand to us and let us grip and feel and wonder. He even ate some of the fish we were making. Jesus had returned to us. And in that moment, I remembered. He told us this was going to happen. 
He told us that he was going to die. He told us that he was going to raise from the dead. I'd forgotten that. Man, he did that. I need to trust what he says. Those days that Jesus was with us again were awesome. He taught us even more about his kingdom, connected so many dots for us, and it just felt right. God was with us. But before long, Jesus told us he had to go again. Doubt crept in to my heart. But Jesus said that we were to wait in Jerusalem and to pray. I will not forget what Jesus said this time. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that my heart didn't sink in my chest as I saw him raise up into the sky. And even when he was out of view, we just stood there staring, not knowing what to do. We were alone again. But this time, I won't forget what Jesus said. We head back to Jerusalem. We gather together in the upper room. We replace the traitor with a new 12th disciple. And then everyone looked to me as the eldest, the rock upon which Christ would build his church. The weight of leadership set in. What do we do? And so we prayed. And we prayed, and we prayed, and days go on, and we prayed. A week goes by, and we prayed more than a week. And I continued to pray, Lord, don't leave us alone. Lord, don't leave us alone. And then the wind picked up. Acts 2, verses 1 to 12 When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that we hear each one of us in his own native language? The Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, all of us. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And that's the question that I want us to ask today as we jump into this passage of Pentecost. What does this mean? Because Pentecost, it isn't just good news to the Pentecostals. 
It's good news to every Christian, every believer in Jesus. Pentecost forever changed how we relate to God. And for the disciples, this was earth shattering. As Jews, they recognized that this was the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy. Here are a couple, uh, Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And another in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And these are just two. But the point is that they were waiting for a day that God would pour his spirit out. A moment when his presence would not only be in the temple, but that he would be with all of his people. In fact, we have become the temple for God's presence. Paul connects these dots in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 3, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And again in chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. In the Old Testament, the temple, and, and before that, the tabernacle, was the place where God's presence dwelt. The significance of that can't be understated. People came from all over to come to the temple in Jerusalem to worship and pray to God. I mean, later in Acts, we'll hear about a court official who traveled all the way from Ethiopia to come to Jerusalem to worship and pray to God. Does anybody know uh, world geography well? I don't. <laughs> I had to Google it. That's over 2,000 miles. 2,000 miles. Back in that day, that would have taken many weeks to travel that distance. And he came to pray and worship God. The very presence of God that thundered on Mount Sinai, that filled the tabernacle and the temple, now lives in every believer in Jesus. That is why Pentecost is good news. Think of Jesus' words in John 16. He says, and he was saying this to the disciples when he was telling them he had to go. He said, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when the disciples heard this, they, they had a hard time receiving it. How could it be good news that the Messiah, the Son of God, would leave? At Pentecost, I think they started to connect the dots. That it was good news that now God's temple presence would dwell in every believer. And it's not just during those dramatic demonstrations of the gifts of the Spirit either, like in Acts 2. We don't have to have one of those to be indwelt by the Spirit. Actually, Ephesians 1:13 says, In Him, in Jesus, you also, who are not at Pentecost, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, 
You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so what that means for us today is that when we hear the word of truth, when we hear the gospel and believe in Jesus, we receive the promised Holy Spirit. He begins to dwell within us. That means that God has made his home within every believer. The indwelling spirit of God is doubling down on his name, Emmanuel. God with us, right? With Jesus, they no longer had to go to the temple. They could go to the person, Jesus, to be with God. But imagine how many people couldn't make it all the way through the line. Now, with the Holy Spirit, we no longer have to wait in line to talk to the person of God. We can pray and talk with him anywhere, anytime. Pentecost means that even though Jesus ascended into heaven, God is still with us. That is the good news of Pentecost. But what a mysterious way for God's presence to come, isn't it? Wind, fire, and then they start to speak in tongues. Does this make anybody a little confused or uncomfortable? I know for me that it, it definitely has in the past. I wasn't a follower of Jesus growing up, um, but during high school, my dad made me come to church with him. Um, and I, I listened to the messages, actually. I never, we were at a Baptist church. I never remember hearing about tongues or gifts of the Spirit or anything like that. And so when I came to college and the first time I heard it, I was like, what in the world? What is this? It just, it didn't make sense to me. It kind of confused me. And the reality is, this is just the beginning of the sign gifts in the book of Acts in the New Testament church. And we're jumping in it, into Acts. We're going to be in it for a while. And so I think it's important for us to, to address those discomforts. I found it within myself too. How do we respond to mystery or discomfort in God's word? For me, I think there are two things I, I naturally go to when I see uncomfortable things in the word. Number one it's this reaction of, oh, this is too weird. I'm just going to skip it. I'll go to the next stuff. Pass. Or sometimes I just feel like jumping into a theological camp that like makes sense with, according to my experience. And I'm just like, oh yeah, they, they, I think somebody says something about this over there. And then I move on. And I don't actually end up wrestling with the passage. I think it's important that we don't do either of these things. Because if we skip over passages, man, we're just walking right into consumer Christianity. Might as well like grab your shopping cart. It's like, oh yeah, loving kindness of God, I'll buy it. Yep. Oh yeah, mercy for sure. But all, most of the Old Testament, except for some of the good stories, pass. No thanks. Forgiveness? Yeah, I'll take that when it, you know, maybe sometimes, except for with that person. And we actually slide into this thing where we're creating our own God. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I can't create a God. I don't have that power. We end up actually missing who God is. We end up missing the full revelation of who he is when we skip passages that make us uncomfortable. The second one, when we just jump into theological camps 
and we don't wrestle for ourselves first, I feel like we, when we do that, we miss out on our personal relationship with God. And think about it this way. I, I'm a huge basketball fan. I love the NBA, and specifically, I love Steph Curry. He's an amazing player. He changed the game, and I know a lot of facts about him. I know that he, uh, you know, he is now the all-time leading three-point shooter. He also is a two-time MVP, the only unanimous MVP ever in the NBA. You know, I'm not trying to brag on how much I know Steph Curry, but the fact is I don't know him at all. I know some facts about him that I've heard from other people, other sources online. I know these facts, but I don't know him. And I'm sure that if I actually like met him and was in person with him, I, we wouldn't have much to say. <laughs> we wouldn't have much to talk about. Probably be uncomfortable for me and probably for him too. <laughs> I'm a fan of Steph Curry. I know facts. I don't know him. And I just think that sometimes if, if we're just like trusting what other people say about God and not wrestling with his word, talking with him for ourselves, we're just knowing facts. We're not having personal relationship with him. And that's what God wants for us. Christianity, it isn't just an ethic or facts that we learn and share. It's first and foremost, a personal relationship with the living God. That's at the center of it. That's where we have to start. That's where everything we learn feeds into. Personal relationship with him in both of these things, skipping and just jumping into a theological camp and ducking and not wrestling, they, they pull us away from that. And so I think it's important for us that we personally engage with every passage, uncomfortable or not, in Scripture so that we would personally know God. Also, as I studied this passage this week, it had me reflecting on the importance of a good lens. For instance, I'm, I'm wearing glasses right now. My lens in my glasses, it bends light as it enters into my eye. And it really changes and it impacts the information that my eyes take in. It helps me understand. And in the same way, each one of us have a lens in here through which we view life and more specifically, through which we view the Bible. This is called our hermeneutic lens. And it's shaped by what we believe about life, what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves. All of those things come into play. And the thing is, our lenses aren't perfect. Our sources for our lenses aren't perfect. Like, I believe a lot of things about life that are wrong. Sometimes you might have a hard circumstance in life that tempts you to believe wrongly about God, view him wrongly, or view yourself wrongly. And so the, the thing with the lens is it's not static either. It changes, yes, with your experiences, but when we become aware of our lens, we can tweak it, how we perceive the word. And specifically for me, what I'm trying to get at is this week, I just realized that I need to tweak my lens a bit before I come to God's word. I need to tweak my lens. Specifically, I need to revere God more because God is to be revered. I need to revere his word. 
I need to respect how he has revealed himself to me. I need to hold him in reverence. A verse that always does that for me is out of Hebrews 1. I've shared this before, but it says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. I love that verse. It paints such a clear picture for me that God didn't just spin systems, create systems, and just send them off into existence like, there you go. He didn't just create them and send them off. He's upholding them right now. Our hearts beat because he upholds that. He is powerful. He's bigger than I can imagine. He is to be revered. And the reason this struck me as I studied is because I was asking this question, Lord, why did you have to come this way? Why did you have to reveal yourself to us this way? It's kind of confusing. It seems strange. I'm afraid that people are going to see you wrongly. That, that was my fear this week. But then I realized, man, Lord, I need to revere you. This is how you chose to reveal yourself. This is how you chose to come. This is how you chose to send your spirit. Who am I to call that weird? Who am I to judge that? But in reverence, I need to ask different questions. Instead of why does it have to be this way, I should be asking, Lord, man, what are you trying to reveal about yourself? What are you trying to say about who you are? What are you trying to teach me? I needed to wrestle with the fact that this historically happened. Wind, fire, speaking in tongues. This happened, church. What does this say about God? As I wrestled with this, I just found myself in this place, like the crowd, amazed, perplexed, and asking the question, what does this mean, Lord? It means God is still with us. God is to be revered. But I, I noticed one more thing as I studied this week, and it has everything to do with that bit about speaking in tongues. Um, I, when I was a kid, I loved Christmas. And specifically, I loved Christmas because of the gifts. I loved that. I remember one year, my dad knocked it out of the park. He bought me an X-Wing fighter uh, Lego set. And at that point, I just freaked out. You ever see kids freak out about toys? I was so excited, <laughs> running around the house, holding the box, shaking it. And then I remember opening it up, and I was like, I don't even remember asking for this. It's crazy that my dad knew. He just, he nailed that one. I open it. I'm starting to put it together. My dad sat down next to me to help me build this toy. And uh, I was like, no, no, dad, I got it. I got it. I wanted to do all of it. I wanted to build it and I wanted to play with it. I wanted to do it by myself because I was a big boy. <laughs> and I, I remember pushing my dad away. And it kind of makes me sad looking back. I would have loved to have that moment with my dad. But I was so excited about this toy. Built it myself played with it, had a ton of fun. Here's what I'm trying to get at. I feel like we often overlook the giver in our excitement about the gift. 
I absolutely overlooked my dad in my excitement about the gift. But the reality is, guys, like, I don't have that toy anymore. <laughs> I would much rather have a relationship with my dad than that toy. And that act of him giving me that gift, it said a lot about my dad. It said he knew me. <laughs> I didn't ask for that gift, but he saw how excited I was about Star Wars, about Legos. He knew me. And it said that he loved me. He cared about me. He paid attention to me. And I think we can do the same thing, our reaction to the spiritual gifts. We can do the same thing with, with God. We can miss out on what it says about him when we're so fixated on the gift, either weirded out by it or obsessed with it. In both ways, we can miss the heart of God, the heart of the giver. But don't get me wrong. The spiritual gifts are important. They're vital. They matter. Even scripture says to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. To eagerly desire them. I would encourage you, if, if you've never, um, if you never have, pray and ask the Lord just in humility, God, I don't, I don't get it, but would you give me these spiritual gifts? And if you want to read about that, actually, there's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And 13 is in the center on purpose. It holds that all together. But the fact remains, and it says this in that passage in 1 Corinthians, all things, prophecy, speaking in tongues, all things will pass away except for faith, hope, and love. Your faith in Jesus will remain forever. Your hope in God will remain. Your love of him will remain. Your relationship with God lasts forever. And so what is the gift of tongues in Acts 2? What does it say about the giver? It says that God wants people to know him. Think back. God empowered 120 or whatever people to speak in other languages that they didn't know before, proclaiming the amazing works of God. And he teed up Peter, which we'll talk about next week, to preach the gospel to them. He wanted these people to come to know him, to know Jesus, to experience relationship with God. God wants people to know him. And so for those of us in the room today, if you feel like just a fan of God, just a factual knowledge of God, but don't have a personal relationship with him, maybe today's the day. I mean, we lost an hour of sleep and you're, you still got up to be here. Maybe today's the day. God wants personal relationship with you. Not just a factual knowledge, not just your money. He wants you to know him. He uses his spirit to empower us as the church to help the world know Jesus. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you that you sent the Son. I thank you that you send the Spirit 
now in these last times for us. For us to know you, for us to walk with you, for us to be empowered to spread the gospel so that others, that the world may know you, Jesus. I pray that, God, as we enter into studying the book of Acts, that you would help us to interact with your word, to revere you, to interact with you. Even when things are hard for us to grasp, even when your spirit moves in mysterious ways, would you help us to see the intentions of the giver in every passage, in every verse? And I pray, God, that your spirit would empower this congregation so that we can be the light to the world, so that we can share your gospel, so that others might come to a saving relationship with you. God, may we seek first your kingdom. Knowing you is so much more valuable than anything else. We can't take anything with us from this life except our relationship with you and other people. So God, would you empower us by your spirit to be the church? I pray this in Jesus' name.